It's 6 p.m., and you're tuned to your community radio station, KVMR-FM, Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Thursday, August 24th, and this is the KVMR Evening News. I'm Julia Jim. Orange County suffered a new display of gun violence last night when a gunman killed three people and wounded six more at a popular bar. The California Report brings us the details. Then, after a look at regional news and weather, KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza visits the little town of Washington to speak with residents about their experiences during the highway fire. We close with an essay by Molly Fisk. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. A gunman killed three people and wounded six in a mass shooting in Orange County last night. It happened around 7 p.m. at Cook's Corner, a bar long popular with motorcyclists located in Tribuco Canyon in East Orange County. The shooter also died at the scene, likely killed, law enforcement says, by responding deputies. Jeff Halleck is undersheriff of Orange County and spoke at a press conference last night. Deputies were on scene very quickly within a couple of minutes. As they arrived on scene, dispatch can obviously hear what is happening around them. Uh, And it is our understanding that dispatch could hear gunshots going off in the background. I don't know if it was with the alleged shooter. I know there was a deputy involved shooting involving multiple deputies. At this point, I think it's safe to assume that that they would have engaged the, the shooter, but I don't have specific details. There are reports that the gunman was a retired law enforcement officer from Ventura County who was targeting his estranged wife. Five of the six injured had gunshot wounds, all have been hospitalized, and two are in critical condition. No details are available about the victim's identities. Local officials, like State Senator David Min, who represents the area, are offering their condolences while also criticizing the scourge of gun violence. Let's go to other news. We all know that West Coast cities from Seattle to San Diego have housing shortages, shortages that are driving up rents and pushing some people into homelessness. But that problem is getting even worse, according to new data on apartment construction. In Los Angeles, KCRW's Anna Scott has more. The real estate information company CoStar says high interest rates and the rising costs of labor and materials are behind a major slowdown in the construction of buildings with five or more units. So far this year, Los Angeles, San Francisco, San Diego, San Jose, Seattle, and Portland combined are on pace to build fewer than 20,000 units. That's less than a quarter of what those cities produced a year ago. Developers haven't broken ground on a single apartment this year in San Jose, according to CoStar, though government data shows the city has issued permits for nearly 1,000, still less than half the total from the same time period last year. None of this bodes well for a statewide goal of reaching 2.5 million new housing units by 2030. For the California Report, I'm Anna Scott. In 2020, the mineral fire burned nearly 30,000 acres over two weeks. It also caused hundreds of rural western Fresno County residents to seek shelter from the blazes smoke indoors. But even inside their homes, many couldn't avoid the health effects of all that smoke. Now, three years later, a team of researchers is testing a new way to improve indoor air quality. KVPR's Esther Quintanilla reports. Jose Gomez remembers the day the mineral fire scorched near his hometown of Colinga. He remembers the sun hidden behind hazy clouds, the dry heat seeping through his home, and the looming feeling of dread. It felt like one of those gloomy days, you know, when you're expecting rain, but it was nothing but ashes, you know. 
Gomez lives with his elderly mother in the Amandaco mobile home park in the outskirts of the city. He says that at the peak of the mineral fire, there was no way to escape the smoky air. Even inside his home, with the swamp cooler blowing, Gomez says it was hard to breathe. It was a little hard, you know, to breathe. Like if you had like weight in your chest, you know, like pretty bad. He and his neighbors faced an impossible choice. If they turned on their swamp coolers, it would blow the smoky air into their homes, exposing them to harmful pollutants like carbon monoxide, sulfuric acid, pollen, and dust particles. But if they left it turned off, they would have to suffer with sweltering temperatures indoors. The reality of the fact is that these swamp coolers do not have adequate filtration system. So one way or another, they're breathing in particulate pollution. That's Ruben Rodriguez, a community organizer with the Central California Environmental Justice Network. Swamp coolers work by drawing in warm, dry air from the outside through water-soaked cooling pads and blowing the damp air into the home. Most of the time, they're less expensive and more energy efficient than air conditioning. But according to Rodriguez and many environmental agencies, the coolers don't do enough to filter air in high-pollution areas like the central San Joaquin Valley, especially during wildfires. And breathing in that smoke can cause asthma, heart disease, and other health conditions. Unfortunately, a lot of these folks understand that, that they were pumping smoke into their house during the wildfire season, but they didn't understand the dangers of breathing in that particulate pollution. But Gomez and his neighbors felt the danger. They asked Rodriguez if there were attachments they could add to their coolers. But when they didn't find anything on the market, they turned to researchers at the Public Health Institute for a solution. Now, more than a dozen families from the mobile home park are volunteers on a project that aims to design, test, and develop an air filtration system. The Fresca project stands for filtration for respiratory exposures from swamp cooler air. Gina Solomon is the lead investigator of the project. Since 2020, she and her team of researchers have been collecting data inside the mobile homes, along with a few others in the Colinga area. They recently developed a prototype model of a filtration system and visited homes to install them earlier this summer. And we're trying to basically balance out making sure they get good flow of cool air into the home, but at the same time getting the best particle filtration that we can get. In order to achieve that, they wrapped thin carbon-lined MERV-13 filters onto the coolers. She says these kinds of filters are effective at catching the smallest pollutants found in wildfire smoke. And the filters are showing promising results. The initial readings show a more than 50% decrease in particle pollution after installation. But the filters need to be replaced every few months. In the event of a wildfire, they would need to be replaced even more frequently, which can be expensive. For now, Jose Gomez says he can rest easy knowing he can breathe in cleaner air. It feels good to have the air on, come home, is fresh, fresh for me, fresh for my mom. The Fresca project is expected to have its final results later this year. For The California Report, I'm Esther Quintanilla. Support for The California Report comes from Hint. Fruit-infused water with no sugar or diet sweeteners with more than 25 flavors, including watermelon and pineapple. In stores or delivered from HintWater.com. Stanford Medicine, comprising its School of Medicine and adult and children's health systems, working together to advance knowledge and improve lives. StanfordMedicine.org. 
and Eric and Wendy Schmidt through the Schmidt Family Foundation, working together to create a just world where all people have access to renewable energy, clean air and water, and healthy food. On the web at theschmidt.org. And that's the California Report for Thursday, August 24th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm your host, Saul Gonzalez. Thanks for listening, and have a good day. In local news, the Miner's Picnic, which began in 1895 as a means to raise funds for widows and orphans, is returning as an opportunity to experience the Empire Mine as it may have appeared during operational times. The Miner's Union members were the ones who originally put on the event to help those miners' families in need. That's according to California State Park interpreter Jeanne Rhine. There was a woman who had 10 kids. They built a house for the woman and her kids after her husband was killed. Things like that. Food, money, pretty much any way people needed help. This event raised money for them, she said. The Empire Mine became a part of the California State Park System in 1975. The Empire Parks Association was formed to operate and benefit the park. Recently, that association merged with two other nonprofits to form the Sierra Gold Parks Foundation, which benefits three parks. Their volunteers are working with the parks to assist in bringing this event to life. There'll be live entertainment, food, and historic children's games like Lincoln Logs, Marbles, and other favorite activities of the time. Kids can also participate in some of the jobs that miners had, including, but not limited to, single jacking, mucking, or shoveling gravel into a minecart. Yay. The blacksmith shop, which is a reproduction portraying the shop from the 1925 era, will also be open, and visitors can watch as steel is heated and hammered into various forms and tools. There will also be a very special guest at the mineshaft. Ryan said that as a highlight, Orlo Steele will attend the picnic. He's the last living employee miner who worked at the mine in the 1950s. He'll be at the mineshaft giving 20-minute talks about his time at the mine yard. The Miner's Picnic takes place on Saturday, August 26, from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. at the Empire Mine State Park in Grass Valley. According to the union, Grass Valley has been witnessing an uptick in community activities and efforts to bring people together. In line with that sentiment, the Grass Valley Downtown Association has brought the Grass Valley Foundation back to life. The Grass Valley Foundation allows the association to apply for grants that will further add value to community projects. Robin Galvin Davies, the CEO of the Greater Grass Valley Chamber of Commerce and executive manager of the Grass Valley Downtown Association, said, The Grass Valley Foundation is a 501c3, and it is the charitable nonprofit arm of the Grass Valley Downtown Association. It's an associated nonprofit. It has the same board, but different meetings. They have separate meetings and separate minutes. Robin says that the foundation was created back in 2014, and it's an educational nonprofit. That means that in all of the events it produces in collaboration with the association, some kind of educational component will be involved. And what really makes these events possible is the foundation's ability to apply for grants to support them. Robin clarified that those ARPA grants are a part of the American Rescue Plan, which is a federal program intended to provide relief to the American people while helping rescue the American economy, which took a hit over the COVID pandemic. This Sunday, the association will host a Locals for Locals event, and it'll benefit an organization called Creating Communities Beyond Bias, or CCB. That takes place this Sunday, August 27th, from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. Turning now to a look at the regional weather forecast from the National Weather Service. In Grass Valley and Nevada City, tonight, mostly clear with a low around 60. Friday, sunny with a high near 84. Friday night, clear with a low around 60. For Truckee and Lake Tahoe, tonight mostly clear with a low around 47. 
Friday is sunny with a high near 75. Friday night, mostly clear with a low around 47. And for Sacramento and the surrounding valley, tonight, clear with a low around 62. Friday is sunny with a high near 93. And Friday night, clear with a low around 61. Currently, there are no red flag warnings or fire weather watches. You're listening to the Evening News on KVMR. As of 10 a.m. this morning, the Tahoe National Forest is reporting that the highway fire is 90% contained and holding at 45 acres. They expect to have all repairs, including the dozer lines cut to fight the fire, repaired by next week. The parts of Alpha Road closest to the fire will remain closed until August 30th. Although they don't know exactly how the fire started, investigators have determined that it was human-caused. This afternoon, I drove down to the little town of Washington to talk with residents about what they experienced. On the front porch of the Washington General Store, staying cool with the help of water misters, I met Janet Land and Karen Copening. Here's Janet. Um, It was pretty scary. We had just gotten back in town about an hour and a half before, and we were told to evacuate, and we grabbed as much as we could and got out and went up the road where we could see the fire and it was frightening to watch it and fearful that it was going to make its way to town. Did you feel like you were ready for it? I don't think you're ever ready for something like this. No. The reason that I ask is there's been a lot of a lot of communication by the county about people knowing their evacuation zones, about preparing go bags. But I, I take your point. It's one of those things there are that people. I know there are people in town that have go bags. We did not. Um, we kind of threw things in suitcases and got medications and our dog and got out. Do you feel like now that's something that you might put together? I would make sure that we have what we need easily packed up. For us, it's medication. So when you get old and you need medications, you need to take them with you. And what about you? Do you feel like you were prepared for the evacuation? Well, actually, I was in Nevada City and my husband was out here. So we were communicating over Messenger on Facebook. That's Karen. And um, I was watching the news and all the footage of the fire, and I knew it wasn't that close to him, but fire, it can rage right through before you know it. So it was pretty frightening. As I was talking to Karen, her husband Philip walked up. He wasn't in a zone that was ordered to evacuate, but he took the warning very seriously. So, Philip, you were here when the fire broke out on Wednesday? Yes, I was. I used to be a part of the fire department, and I'm still pretty active with them. So I've created an emergency radio scenario for the town. We've got over 200 um, short or family radios here. You know, short range, but it covers us pretty well here. And then where I live, I've put um, 
fire sprinklers on all the buildings. I, I have pumps in the river. I have tanks on land. I can fill 1,800 gallons in 13 minutes. So, and I have pre-laid hoses out with fire nozzles on it because I understand it. Um, so I felt safe enough to be where I was and not try to evacuate, but to make sure people were safe. The highway fire could have been much worse, and it's a sobering reminder that a blaze could happen at any moment. It's important that we're all ready. If you want to learn more about how you can prepare, consider attending Evacuating Nevada County. That's a talk happening tomorrow at Sierra College at 1030. Sheriff Shannon Moon will be there, and the discussion will focus on the ways that Nevada County can ready itself to react in the event of a large-scale emergency. They're going to go over things like evacuation zones, evacuation routes, and go bags. Again, that's happening tomorrow at Sierra College's Grass Valley campus at 1030, building N12, room 203. For KVMR, I'm Claudia Mendoza. And now, Molly Fisk. Molly Fisk, Observations from a Working Poet. I'm getting a lesson this summer in how stress affects creativity. I've gotten the sister of this lesson several times and learned how grief affects creativity. Everyone is different, but in my case, grief makes me physically clumsy. Over the years, as my parents and friends and cats have died, I've dropped favorite coffee cups and flower pots, walked into furniture, fallen downstairs, gotten into two fender benders at the exact same corner one week apart, and once, very slowly, backing up in my own driveway in Stinson Beach, ripped the front door off my car. An old car, to be sure, but still. This takes some doing, or some real bone-deep distraction. I backed up while the door was open and didn't even hit anything hard, just past a row of tall blackberry bushes, which were dense enough to fold the car door too far open and bust its hinges. I was quite surprised. In grief, though, my brain turns more toward poetry writing than away. Poems help me sort out my feelings, or at least surround them with language, so they don't swamp me entirely. I can write about the loss directly, too, which helps diffuse it. The current stressor isn't anything to do with grief, though. Rather than physical, my response has been mental, forgetting to do things or doing them twice, losing names and nouns at a great rate, not recalling what day it is, and missing or being a week early for appointments. I'm older now, which may account for some of the nuttiness going on, but surely not all of it. Because of the circumstances, I have to contain my emotions, not describe them to you here, nor anywhere else publicly. And so my psyche doesn't want to describe anything. It won't let the dog out of the bag, even in a private notebook. Art is about expression, not repression. I said dog instead of cat just now, because I've been watching a TV show where a Belgian mangles English idioms in his conversation. TV is a helpful distraction when you can't be creative. Cats are so tired of not being let out of bags, it seems only fair to keep a few dogs in there instead now and then, and maybe a parrot or two. Hercule Poirot likely said, letting the dog out of the sack, 
Whoever is having fun making up these malapropisms usually does it to both sides of the phrase, not just one. I'd quote you some more, but my brain is a steel sieve and has forgotten them all. Hélas, mes amis, you will have to turn on your own streaming service if you like this kind of silliness. Distracting or soothing ourselves when we're stressed out is allowed. It's good to choose gentler methods like swimming in public television, but if it turns out to be a three-pack habit of camel straights and losing at high-stakes poker, so be it. Life is sometimes hard, even for first-world radio listeners, and the world is a rocky place, as you know. My only advice is try to remember to close your car door before you drive anywhere. And of course, to help promote world peace, use your turn signal. The word in French is clignotante. Award-winning poet Molly Fisk writes, coaches, and teaches writing in California's Sierra Nevada foothills. You can reach her at mollyfisk.com. This program is produced at the studios of KVMR-FM, Nevada City, California. Funding is provided by Harmony Books of Downtown Nevada City and KVMR with support from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. That's our newscast for this Thursday, August 24th. Head over to our website, kvmr.org, or subscribe to the KVMR News Podcast to hear more. KVMR gets support from listeners like you and from Weiss Landscaping. With over 75 years of generational experience in landscape, architecture, design, and installation, Weiss Landscaping crews are experienced and provide accountability on craftsmanship, installations, and irrigation projects. Go weisslandscaping.com. And Scraps Dog Bakery at Mountain Mutts, family-owned for 19 years, providing cat and dog wellness needs, including holistic organic food, training accessories, toys, and a fresh bakery. Scraps Dog Bakery, next to BNC Hardware in Grass Valley. Support for KVMR's Future of Radio project comes from AJA Video Systems, empowering the next generation of local journalists and broadcasters. The KVMR Evening News is produced by KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Julia Jem. Have a great night. Thank you.